Welcome to the Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. Larry is the author of over 40 books, the founder of Dove International, a worldwide family of churches and ministries in six continents, and has over 50 years of leadership experience. He and his guests will share inspirational leadership insights from their journey with God. These insights, gleaned from serving leaders in many nations, will transform your life and leadership. For more information on Larry's books and resources, visit LarryKreider.com. Hello and welcome to the Larry Kreider Leadership Podcast. My name is Merle Shank. I'm here as a guest host today. So Larry, good to have you on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me to be on my podcast, Merle. This is great. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So occasionally, uh, Larry, you, you like to get other people to host so that we can kind of pick your brain. All there's, right. There's a lot of things that... Uh, you have been exposed to and have had uh, great wisdom in over the years. And so we want to mine that as well. Larry, today we're going to be talking about the eight essential qualities of a healthy church. Yes. Where did that title come from? Okay. Well, that came from Christian Swartz from Germany over 25 years ago. This is, this. is I've seen this work generation after generation in any country, any type of church. These eight essential qualities are the same. Okay. And I've seen it work, and I've taught this different places, helped so many people. In fact, we had so many hits on our website just who want to know more about this. And then get the book. It's called Natural Church Development. It's the name of the book by Christian Schwartz. But I want to talk to you about these eight yeah. essential qualities today. Yeah. So I love the concept here, just reading some, through some of the notes, where uh, just as crops grow yeah. all by themselves, right. if the weeds are removed right. out of the way, the same principle applies to churches. Tell me about that. Like, all right. Well, I'm a farm boy. It makes sense to me. <laughs> you know, you know, if you plant corn, you plant seed in the ground and have all the right environment. It's not a bunch of weeds. You have water. You have fertilizer. You know, you have sunshine. You don't have to make it grow. It's going to grow. Right. And people are going to grow in Christ and churches are going to grow if we could take out of the way the obstacles that would hinder growth. Yeah. And basically, these eight essential qualities are what we look for in any church. We look, any pastor, any small group leader, even working in a small group, can look at these eight, eight qualities and say, I'm missing this one or this one. And they can change those areas. They will see growth happen. And again, Christian Swartz, this is kind of a real cool deal. He took three years back in the 90s. He included data from more than 1,000 churches, Merle. Wow. 1,000 churches, 32 countries, five continents. And the survey, he asked people, and you know, he had 4.2 million responses to oh, this. Wow. <laughs> the question was, what are the essential qualities of a healthy, growing church, regardless of culture and regardless of theological persuasion? And amazingly, they came up with these eight. Wow, that's awesome. So let's jump into this, because his his premise here, and I know like a lot of uh, church growth gurus right, right. would try, you know, kind of communicate, do this or do that, you know, yeah. grow this way, do this with your right. media, all those kind of things. But his basic premise was was not to attempt to manufacture growth. That's true. But rather just release the biotic potential which God has placed in every exactly. church. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so essentially, just that minimizing of obstacles exactly. to growth. And so exactly. let's let's jump into that. So let's. What is the number one? Uh, principle here that he talks about. Well, the first one he talks about, I don't know if it's the most important one or not, but the the number one is empowering leadership. It's leadership who empower others, not just try to get people to help them do what they're called to do. But they really empower, really make disciples. And Merle, you know, using our terminology, that they their heart is to make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. Their heart is to release people within their own gifts and callings in their lives. So leaders who empower others 
to obey Jesus. That was the, the number the number one obstacle. Yeah. So I think uh, Larry, like just an observation on my part from uh, my years in working with different ministries and in, in different places around the world is within apostolic movements. Yes. There are really what I've determined as like two different types. Right. There are the Empirical, meaning yep. uh, those who are essentially building an empire, right. their structures tend to go more towards like a military commander type. Come help structure. me fulfill my vision. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and and though that's amazing in the sense that uh, God does great things through ministries and through people. There's also this other structure that tends to way outlast those empires, right. and exactly. that is the family structure. Right. And the apostolic ministries that are built like family. Right. Where instead of you coming to serve my vision, there's this place of stand on my shoulders. I want to push you further than yes. I could ever yes. go. And I want to see you, you know, reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ Correct. and kind of that outward. And if you think about it, uh, you know, something I think about regarding this is of leaders empowering others to fulfill, you know, what God has placed inside of them. You know, uh, if you look back through even just history, natural history, right, right? right? The children of Israel, God, you know, used Abraham to birth the children of Israel. And through all of their ups and downs, through all the, the challenges and the trials and the trauma that they've walked through, they are still here. Well, how many empires have the children of Israel outlasted? That's so true. You know, so just true. throughout history. I mean, the Romans came and, and went. You know, the Greek empire came and went. You know, all, all of these empires that have risen and fallen, and they were, you know, there were structures that were put in place. And, and I think that's true in the church of Jesus Christ where families, yeah. though it might seem more um, lateral, you right. know, as opposed to a pyramid, uh, their families will outlast yeah. empires. Well, I've said a thousand times, I think, throughout the world that if you understand the family, you understand the church. Yeah. Families need fathers and mothers. Do they need vision? Of course they need vision. Fathers and mothers produce vision for their family. But our goal as parents, you know, you have children, we have children and, and yep. at different ages, and our goal has always been to not make them like us, but our goal is make them like Jesus. Obviously, we want to see them be like, like Christ in us, but help them fulfill the God-given call on their lives. Yeah, and What's help, in their life? Help, and help them fulfill that. Let's say just come and help me do my thing. Right, help and them that's come the into vision. Exactly. So they can do the same thing again and again. So in this book, there's there's this quote that says, talking about like the pyramid of responsibility for ministry being inverted uh, to assist Christians to attain their spiritual potential in God and how leaders, you know, kind of they, they're not that typical top CEO right. type person. Right. But they've kind of inverted that, and and I know that's you know that's talked about many times. Like, right. well, is it inverted? Is it sideways? Right, you know, right, all right. that thing. But but the heart behind that is to help empower other exactly. people to do the work exactly. of the ministry. So that's the first one. That Christian Swartz says that's one thing that came through again and again, regardless of the size of church, type of church, whether it's charismatic church, whether it's more of a fundamental church, whatever. Mm -hmm. He says if a church is going to grow. You need leadership that's empowering you. Now, you may have some quick growth for a season, but long-term, healthy growth, you must have empowering leadership. Yeah. Larry, talk to me about gift-oriented ministry. Love to. 
What gift, does that mean? Gift our ministry is not just uh, trying to plug people into our program, but finding the gifts that God's placed in their lives of the people, and then helping them become all they should be within their gift mix. Now, all of us serve, and you know, in a family, you all have to serve in certain ways. Everybody has to take out the garbage sometime. We get that, <laughs> all right. Yeah. But if you know, if one of our natural children cannot sing, they just have the gift. Well, let's not push them to try to be in the choir, you know, yeah. because that's not their gift. So it's helping people within our church find out what are the gifts, how are they wired, and then helping them fulfill it. If they're pastoral, then they're the ones that should be helping people on the pastoral level. If they're evangelists, well, then they're the ones we should be encouraging to reach the lost and challenge all of us. Yeah, so it makes good. sense. Yeah, so this is the second uh, point here that Christian Swartz brings out. I love what he says here. He says, when Christians serve in their areas of giftedness, they yeah. generally function less in their own strengths and more in the power of the Holy Spirit. So true. Wow. It's so true. Yeah. So 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 healthy churches are empowering people. Yes. But specifically orientating their ministry uh, or helping people orientate yes. their ministry towards the gifts that God has given right. them. And if the, if that is not happening, that becomes an obstacle. And that's what I like about these, these eight. They're very simple. And you realize, oh, I don't think we're doing that in our small group or our church or our ministry, or whatever. I'm not doing that. Well, we can change that. Yeah. And it changes areas and we can see the growth come that, that God gives. Let's talk about the third point, passionate spirituality. I love it. Yeah, something on my heart. Oh, me it. too, man. <laughs> people on fire for God. People would love to pray. You know, people would love to worship. We want to be worshipers. People love the presence of God. Uh, and I know that w- looks different in different types in, of churches, you know, but we serve a supernatural God. We need to be in tune with him and people prayer seeking God, hearing the voice of God. Yeah. Obviously, we believe in the prophetic and all that. You know, that's really... To, to me, that's passionate Christianity and loving Jesus and loving people. Yeah, and God has created us as passionate individuals. Exactly. Just go to a sports game exactly. anywhere around the world, right? People yeah. love to get fired up. Well, there's there's a heart to to get fired up for the things yeah. of God. Exactly. And to you know to encourage that. So yeah. these churches are doing that. They're they right. have passionate spirituality that's engaged uh, in what God has yeah. called them and, to do as a church. And something really interesting about all these eight is that I don't care what, what type of church. I don't care if you have a community church where you have 200 people meeting on a Sunday yeah. and life groups during the week, or if you have a mega church, or if you have a house church. This applies every level, every type of church. I've seen it again and again. And I, I tell people when they're involved in micro churches, you know, these the house churches, where well, the same stuff applies. It applies to you too, just like with any other church. Yeah. Good. Let's talk about uh, the fourth the fourth point here, and that's functional structures. Well, a lot of people don't like to talk about structure, but structure <laughs> is important. It's it's behind the scenes. You know, I mean, I have a, a structure in my body. I have a bone skeleton structure. Yeah. And if I didn't have that, I'd be about, what, three inches on the floor, <laughs> you know. I could, We'd all be a blob. <laughs> we would all be blobs, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And we need proper structures so everybody knows. And I encourage people, write the structure down. You know, Habakkuk 2 says, write the vision down so you can run. And if we just understand this is how we're structured. Every church may be structured differently, but this is how we're structured. And we're clear with how we're structured. I find that makes all the difference in the world. You know, a lot of people tend to push back on this, uh, right. the, the idea of structure. Um, in, an interesting thing that Christian says here is he says, um, interestingly enough, biological research reveals that dead matter and living organisms are not distinguished by their substance, yeah. as some people might think, but by the specific structure of the relationship of the individual parts yeah. to each other. Exactly. And so they're basically saying there is a need for structure and, and the way that you can actually determine life 
is based on structure. Now, sometimes this could swing, you know, way over to right. where things are right. overstructured. Right. Right. And I know that one of the things in, in the Dove family, one of the things that we look for is we look to move from relationship towards structure. Correct. Can you unpack that a little bit? Why is that an important Yeah, well, topic? obviously, the church is built by relationship and relationship with God and with one another. And then there's trust as you work together. So you start with relationship, but we need structure like in our own homes. You know, if we eat our meals together at five o'clock at night, one of the kids doesn't say, well, I'm coming at three and I'm coming at seven. You need some structure, but it's built on relationship because we love each other. Right. And so we start with relationship with God and relationship with people. And it's kind of like the, uh, you know, we We've all learned about the two C's, care and concern, that you know that we sometimes talk about. It come from Patrick Lanciani. And if we care and are concerned about people and we have the relationship, then we can have a healthy structure. If it's the other way around, uh, it doesn't work very well. Yeah, Jesus uses that term about wineskins and new yep. wine, right? Exactly. And so we need both. We need the we wine skin and the new wine. And the important thing about the wine skin and the new wine often is that old wine skins are old wine. So it's okay. Some some churches have different kinds of structures that are a bit more traditional. And between them and God, that might work for them. That may work for the people of God in that church or congregation. And others, this new one, the new life, the new work of the Spirit, the new people coming to Christ need new wineskins. So we need yeah. to constantly find new wineskins for the new wine. And then the Bible says, Jesus said, then you preserve both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His, con his concern was that for the his old wineskins. His people. Care and concern. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Let's talk about point number five, inspiring worship. Yeah, well, God's called us to be worshipers, obviously. And, you know, when I'm involved in, in, in any church, I've been in all kinds of churches throughout the world. I know you have too. And, you know, I've been in churches that sometimes the worship service, it has to do with your preference. Some mm -hmm. pe people prefer certain kinds of worship. Or even culture. Or culture, exactly. Right. And I, I think, and that I think is okay. The key is, is our heart connecting with God's heart? And are we true worshipers? And, and do we feel like when we come together, whether it's a house church or a mega church or a community church, we come together, we're worshiping God. Is there this heart connection to the Father? Yeah, and really celebrating what He's doing exactly. among us. Exactly. Because that's really what worship is, is coming into this place of love of the Lord and a celebration of what He has done, right? Exactly. Uh, so many times when Jesus would do miracles, the, those who received the miracle from Jesus would come and worship Him, right? Yes, exactly. And so worship is this response to what God is doing. Uh, one of the things that uh, Andrew says here is, that churches who react to or minimize anointed worship opportunities are shooting themselves in the foot. Yep, it's true. Uh, I think that's true. Yeah, it's, that's that's amazing. So let's uh, talk about holistic small groups. Point well, number six. It's really interesting. You know, Christian Swartz says if we were to identify any one principle as the most important, then without a doubt, it would be the multiplication of small groups. They must be holistic. Must be holistic, you know, just not just having a Bible study, mm. not just reading scripture, as important as scripture is, obviously, but there's a sense of people getting involved themselves. It's holistic, caring about people's needs, mm. whatever it is, caring about the loss, praying for the loss. So we're really connecting with people. And the other thing that's important about so that's really about, kind of the church within the church, right? So it's not just a Bible study, but exactly. unpack that whole thing of holistic, because that's, I think, really that's key. Well, again, my understanding of holistic would be it has to do with more than just doing having a religious experience. Mm. We're talking about how do we care for people. It's the power of two or three. Jesus, if two or three gather my name, I'm in the midst of them. Mm -hmm. It's the power of two or three. And, you know, people learn by doing. 
And so it's holistic when people are learning how they can pray, how they can share a testimony, how they can help somebody who's hurting. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, so you're meeting the needs of families. You're not just meeting the need to have a Bible study. Yeah. You mean the, the total needs of the family of God and individual people that are part of it. And reaching out body, soul, and spirit. Definitely. Right? Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. So healthy small groups working together as spiritual families provide tremendous yeah. support to the kingdom. And I want to say again, for people involved in, like in the, the house church, you know, and I, and again, I, we believe in house church, we believe in community church, we believe in, in mega church. But house churches without small groups, without these holistic small groups, will get boring mm-hmm. and probably die off. Why? Because we need holistic ministry with Jesus, body, soul, and spirit within our within our churches. Interestingly, I think the same is true for uh, you know larger churches exactly. as well. You exactly. Know, maybe it just takes longer to happen. Right. But if there's not this engagement of mm-hmm. ministry and Christian yes, life and yes. holistic, you know, walking with people, exactly. the reality of their life, uh, and and sometimes. You know, larger churches will have a small group program, right? But really, it's about those relationships it is. in the church. You know, so it sometimes is. there's unofficial small groups, or sometimes there's people getting together for coffee just right. in a relationship. Well, that's really you know, if they're doing life together sure. and and they're making Christ the center of their gathering, a lot of flexibility really, in the kingdom of God, right? The small that is a type it's, of small exactly. group. So exactly. Let's talk about number seven: need-oriented evangelism. Well, it's not just somebody in a street corner preaching. It's need or an advantage of helping people with a certain need. Maybe it's for healing. Maybe it's a need in their family. Maybe it's a need for someone to talk to. And then out of that relationship comes people coming to Christ, evangelism. And I'm all for it. You know, we teach on giving your elevator speech. You know, how'd you come to Christ? You know, elevator speech, you have 90 seconds to do it. You know, <laughs> what were you like before you came to Christ? How'd you come to Christ? What changed after you came to Christ? And, and we all need to tell our stories. But need or an evangelism, I thought it's interesting. He didn't just say evangelism. But they right. learned it was need-oriented evangelism. They're meeting true needs in people's lives, and because of that, their hearts are open to Christ. In the missional world, we would say that meeting felt needs. Yes, so a, exactly. a need that people feel. So sometimes yes. you can look at somebody and say, "Well, they need that," but if they don't realize they need, right. you know, what you're trying to provide to them, exactly. it's it's kind of pointless. They, you know, it's not something that they recognize. But meeting felt needs, being a point of contact for them. Peter Wagner, um, you know. In many regards, uh, or is regarded as you know, kind of an authority figure right. on church growth. Right. And he says that uh, the gift of evangelism usually applies to no more than ten percent yeah. of all Christians. Yet we're all called to fulfill the Great Commission. Right. So how can everybody get involved in need-oriented evangelism? How do you see that happening, Larry? Well, first of all, you need to be able to tell your story. It all starts with knowing your story, being clear about your story. I mentioned a few minutes ago the elevator speech. We need right. to know that. But it's asking the Lord, who are people, whether it's at work or somebody down the street? Are, are there people that you're leading me to where we're led by the Spirit? Because Jesus said, I do nothing except that which the Father is doing. We're led by the Spirit. We see needs. And then we'll be able to, at the right time, share our faith. And, you know, maybe 10 other people did it before, and we get the blessing of leading someone to Christ. Or maybe we simply sow a seed. So when you share the life of Christ with people, you do it in a gentle way. You do it in an honoring way where you honor them, their humanity, and who they are. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you share one seed. There'll be another seed, another seed. Somebody else might actually be the one to lead them to Christ. I thought that was really good. Yeah, that is really good. Let's talk about the last point here, and that is loving relationships. So what does that mean? 
Well, obviously, the church is built by relationship, a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with each other. You know, eternal life is to know him, be in relationship mm. with him. And uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So it's Jesus and it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's our neighbors. So obviously, relationships are so important to the kingdom. Yeah. We are living stones being built together into a spiritual house, as Scripture says. And so loving relationships, people can smell it mm. if they're a project. People don't want to be a project. Right. They don't want to be a project that we're trying to lead three people to, to Christ and put it on a, you know, yeah. on a bell. You know. Right. They want to know they're loved, and they should, and that's proper, and that's right. Yeah. You know, honor honor their heart and their humanity, and so that's why loving relationships is such an important thing to understand. Hospitality is huge. Yeah, talk about hospitality. Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's almost a lost art in many places. Hospitality mm-hmm. is sharing food, shelter. You know, I think potentially in the it. West. Too. Yeah. Like many times, Eastern cultures are oh, built on hospitality. Oh, they are, yeah. And honor systems. I love right? it. But in the West, we've kind of moved away from we that have. hospitality. A lot of that's been probably social media, but I don't know how you do hospitality with social media. I don't know how that works. I'll let your generation figure that out. I'm <laughs> well, <I> sure <laughs> the way to do it, maybe. But yeah. it really, it has to do with opening our hearts and our home. I mean, our mm-hmm. homes are centers for ministry. Yeah. And that's so powerful, so important. And we, and when we built a house many, many years ago, the house we live in today, we built it in a way that would work for ministry because we thought we just want to have people in and we want to love our people and share with people. And I don't know how many people said, well, you walked into your house and sensed the presence of God. Well, that's the way yeah. it should be. But see, that's practicing hospitality. It's something we practice. Right. It's like a doctor practices medicine. We practice hospitality. I, I know uh, for for me and for us and we we spent a lot of time in uh, South Africa, right? Right. So there, we've we've kind of learned that, but we've had to really be intentional, right, about hospitality. Like there, you have to actually plan for it. You have you to have spend to. money on it. You, you have to. You do. Like kind of plan to open up your home, invite yes. people in. And sometimes it is easier just to like walk away or not yeah. not, not make the invite and be like, well, I'm open, you know, but I think it's really important that people have to feel the love of God and feel that yeah. the door is open. And even in conversation, like we talk about this uh, today in what are the ways that you can honor somebody? Well, you can you can be generous or what are the ways you can be generous? You can be generous with your attention. So like, are you constantly looking at your phone when you're talking to them? Right, or do you put good. your phone away? That's good. Um, you know, that's, that's all part and portion is. of hospitality is it saying... Is. You are the most important person in my life right now. Like I'm, you're in yeah. standing in front of me. You're talking to me. I'm going to give you my attention. Right. I'm going to give you uh, another way of being generous or hospitable mm-hmm. is to what connections can I make for right. you? Right. Can I give you some right. connections? Can I give you some people I know that might help you further right. what you what you desire to do in life? Right. You know, being open and generous. Yeah. In that way, I, there's I mean, a part of that in hospitality. It is. And some people, I think, are afraid of hospitality, afraid that someone asks them a question, they get answer. You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to be a Holy Spirit hinge where you connect them with maybe a book or you connect them with a person, another person, or someone who can take them down the next leg of the journey. Yeah. You know, so it's like the Good Samaritan. We, you know, we love the Good Samaritan, but he was only with, you know, the guy along the road a couple of hours, but he took him to the innkeeper and he could help him in the next leg of his journey. So right. you're so right about that. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's, that's really true. I know that many people are listening from many different nations around the world. And one of the things that we would encounter in other nations is sometimes people would be embarrassed by their home. Right. And so they wouldn't want to invite people into right. their home, just maybe out of embarrassment, right. maybe... It's 
it's not um, as affluent as right. they would like right. it to be, or, right. or some for whatever reason, you know. Um, but that's a really good example, Larry, of like the um, the Good Samaritan right. taking somebody to the innkeeper, and, right. and you know, I think we can all practice hospitality. And uh, specifically as churches, we can all right. practice hospitality uh, in what God has called us to do in impacting a region for, for felt needs and for people sure. to experience the love of Christ. And one of the things that Christian talks about is, is people do not want to hear us talk about love. Yeah. They want to experience right. how Christian love really it's so works. True. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and you know, I've I've had young people come to me and say, my parents aren't believers, and I can't really. How do I do hospitality? You know, I mm. live at home. I say, well, just get a cup of coffee at a local, mm. you know, Starbucks or a local coffee shop or something, and that can, you, you can practice hospitality around that table right there. Yeah, and people still feel loved. Yeah, and so churches, like if if there's ways that as churches or church leaders we can provide a type of environment for people to practice hospitality right. and make that easier. Too. Maybe that's why there's a, a ton of coffee shops. That might be. It is springing up in churches <laughs> everywhere. So these uh, these eight essential qualities to a healthy, growing church. Right. Um, you know, uh, if if you have a vehicle, right? There's so many different components that right. cause that vehicle to run. Correct. Right. If your engine's running great, but you have a flat tire. Exactly. Right. Fix and so, the tire. Yeah, you got to fix the tire. And so healthy churches are the churches that are willing to look at what is restricting growth or what is restricting people in their ability to grow in God or their ability to reach out. And I think this is a great tool for any church leader to use with their elders or any small group leader to use with their small group or Mm -hmm. even the leaders of the small group and just go through the eight and say, which of these eight are we lacking? Is there one we're struggling with? Is there two or three? And then we begin to focus on those, and we will see change come to our church. And again, interesting, this is generated from 4 million responses around the world. People saying, what are the most important things, important qualities for our local church? And I've seen this work again and again over the the last 25 years. I learned this about 25 years ago. And I've seen this work again and again and again in churches of all kinds throughout the world. Well, and this would be great. You know, I, I would just see, you know, churches sitting down with their eldership teams or right. however your church is led and and looking at these eight things on maybe like a yearly basis. Like, how yeah. are we doing? You know, because, right. I mean, everything's in flux. Everything's changing. There, You know, everything's flexing. Yep. Um, but but kind of using it as a checklist to run down and say, how are we doing in this? What? And so one thing when we talk, when we talk about this with churches, many times uh, people can feel like they're doing well or feel like they're right, reaching out. Right. But then uh, when you actually ask the questions, so what have you done in the last right. 12 months or what have you done right. in the last six months that uh, prove the activity right. of what, you know, of reaching out right. or prove the activity of uh, whatever you're kind of yeah. uh, dialoguing through. So Natural Church Development by Christian Swartz, a good resource here uh, on the Larry Kreider Leadership Podcast. If there's any other resources here, we're going to put them in the show notes uh, down below. So thank you very much for joining us today. Larry, any kind of last, any last words for this session? Well, I simply say the Natural Church Development book. I mean, it looks like, it, honestly, it looks like a science book. <laughs> it really does all the charts and everything. But that's when he compiled all this, you know, again, 25 years ago. And that still was available at Christian A.A. Schwartz. And there's no condemnation with this. I just want to close and say there's no Good. condemnation with this. This just 
You know, if we take our car to get inspected for a reason, because if there's something wrong, it could cause an accident down the road, mm. and to make sure it's working properly. And if there's one tire not working right, we can focus on that and get that fixed, and, and the car will run. And same thing is true with these with these eight essential qualities of a healthy church. Awesome, Larry. Pray for us. Pray for to. those who are listening, and they desire to they desire that their church would grow. I'd love to. Um, pray pray for us. Love to. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for every person listening to this podcast, some in church leadership, some just part of a local church, some part of a small group. Lord God, I pray that you give them grace, Lord God, to see health come with the gathering of believers, the group of family, the spiritual family that they're part of. They see health come and they be able to see by the Holy Spirit, Lord God, even through these simple eight essential qualities, they would be able to see what is healthy, what is not healthy. And Lord God, you would be able to give grace to see health and blessing come yes. in Jesus' name. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. Check us out in the future for more podcasts. Thank you for listening to Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. If you want more information about any of Larry's books, daily devotionals, small group resources, or any other teachings, go to LarryKreider.com.